0: We're going to have some gratuitous sex and violence. You guys always bring the very best violence. No relationship. No emotion, Just
1: sex. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another exciting episode of Gratuitous Sex and Violence, the podcast where we snuggle up to movies and nuzzle with some decent sex and violent content oh it's so romantic (laughs) i felt i felt the tenderness right there love me tender love me true (laughs) it's appropriate that i'm singing an elvis song and you'll see why in a second because today we're watching true romance My name is Orlando, and I'm joined by my frequent guest, co-host, and roommate, Ned. Say hello, Ned. What's going on? Now, True Romance, a 1993 American romantic crime film written by Mm -hmm. Quentin Tarantino. Okay. Directed by Tony Scott. It stars Christian Slater and Patricia Arquette with an ensemble supporting cast, which includes the following actors. James Gandolfini Dennis Hopper Michael Rappaport Bronson Pinchot Val Kilmer Gary Oldman Brad Pitt Samuel L. Jackson Chris Penn Tom Sizemore and Mr. Christopher Walken Wow Wow (laughs) That is one fucking stacked ensemble One fucking stacked cast Now the plot of this movie follows an ex-call girl played by Arquette, and her husband, played by Slater, who are on the run from the mafia after stealing a shipment of drugs from her former pimp. Have you ever seen this movie, Ned? Surprisingly enough, no. I've... I've... Dabbled in most of
0: Tarantino's stuff, mm-hmm. to be sure. Um, and and I do like Quentin Tarantino as a director. Um, but uh yeah, this one this one slipped me by. And also, like, I've dabbled a little bit in Tony Scott, too. So between with uh, this is an interesting combination, and I'm I'm actually very curious mm-hmm. about what to expect. Because obviously, you know, I think Tony Scott definitely has a pretty you know, a pretty specific, um, you know, sort of uh, visual identity, I guess you right. could say. Um, so, so yeah, the combination of the two has me really intrigued and really curious about what to expect.
1: I think that uh, this is definitely a movie where you can see, like, a, a perfect convergence of both of their styles. Yeah. Um, it, it features, it, for my money, this is one of my favorite Quentin Tarantino scripts, It's. It features, you know, the the witty dialogue, the rapid-fire pop culture references that you know and love. It has this anti-Shakespearean gutter poetry. Going on yeah. Um, And also this happens to be My favorite Tony Scott movie Okay Uh, Now Tony Scott is of course known for These very hyper kinetic Films lots of energy and Movement within every shot he's kind Of like Michael Bay if Michael Bay Could put together a coherent movie
0: (laughs) Yeah yeah there's
1: definitely A a hyper masculinity Aspect to to Tony Scott's Mm -hmm. work
0: As well to Mm -hmm. be sure
1: And as such, because there's hyper-masculinity in both Tony Scott's work and Quentin Tarantino's work, this movie uh, has the best of both worlds, but it also comes with all of the problematic baggage that you would expect from both of their filmographies. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Yeah, boy. (laughs) Like I said, I don't know what to expect. Now, (laughs) when this movie came out, it was fairly well-received, um... Critically, but it did not do well in the box office. Most people haven't seen it or heard of it. They're kind of like you; they haven't seen it at least. Okay. Uh, and you know, when we have it, when you have a show called "Gratuitous Sex and Violence," at some point, you're gonna have to tackle a Quentin Tarantino movie, I imagine. Yeah, I think. I think that's pretty fair to say. I think
0: like "Gratuitous Sex and Violence" is it's it is kind of it's.
1: Yeah, I, I think that's the kind of thing that Tarantino's <laughs> drawn to. Right. So, um... but one of the aims of this podcast is, you know, not just because most Tarantino movies are fairly well known and regarded. So I didn't want to just like pick one that w- that is you know that people out there would know. It's this one of the aims of this podcast is to introduce people to new movies, introduce you to new movies. Yeah. So I thought that this was like the perfect one cuz we get like enough of the Tarantino thing and then we have uh, the Tony Scott thing to talk about also. Yeah, definitely. So I'm really excited to delve into this movie. Are you ready to snuggle up to True Romance? I'm always waiting to be romanced Orlando, you know this. All right. So guys, we are going to watch this movie and we're going to come back and play some trivia and discuss it at length. If y'all want to, you know, watch this movie too, it is available to watch from imdv.com. Now, you don't need a subscription to watch anything on imdb.com. It's uh it's free with commercials you just have to watch the ads so you don't need any subscription or anything if you're on Amazon in fact all of the IMDB movies are automatically on your Amazon account you can watch them for free again with ads um, so we're gonna watch this movie and then we'll be back in one second and talk about the movie so we'll see you on the other side
0: I hope we're gonna have some gratuitous sex and violence you guys always bring the very best violence no relationship, no emotion,
1: just sex. And we're back. We are. We made it. We just saw True Romance. Mm-hmm. Now, one thing that I forgot to mention at the top of the show uh, was how uh, in this movie specifically, Tony Scott... Uses it as an opportunity to kind of homage um, the heroic bloodshed subgenre of action. That subgenre, of course, arose um, in Hong Kong cinema in the late 70s and 80s. It's more closely associated with the work of John Woo specifically, like in movies such as The Killer, A Better Tomorrow, um, Hard Boiled. And there's. Um, there's a lot of those little touches of heroic bloodshed in this movie, which I find really interesting. But uh, just generally, you know, you, you can talk about that. You can talk in general. Uh, what are your first reactions? What did you think about True Romance?
0: Yeah, I was um, I was actually really glad that you did mention the, uh, the heroic bloodshed genre thing to mm-hmm. me before we started the movie. Um, I think that was actually kind of a great way to... Uh, it was a great lens to kind of view the movie through, um, right? Because uh, that,
1: that, that just before you know we explain a little bit to the audience that that genre is characterized by stylized action, and then the themes that it touches upon are brotherhood, duty, honor, redemption through violence um yeah continue exactly yeah and um I, I of that genre i think the only one that i'm
0: most familiar with is uh, hard boiled mm-hmm. but um yeah i definitely saw many aspects of of that um from from a style perspective i think um uh there's uh there's uh you know, we were talking a lot about like the stacked cast mm-hmm. and, um, and they really do make good use of like everybody, like, right. you know, cause you have all these amazing stars, yeah. um, who are playing a lot of these, like, you know, two bit roles. Right. And but so, they're so rich, but, but they all have like these great moments to shine. Um, and, uh, and, and particularly the big shootout at the end, uh, wh- which, you know, is like a three way Mexican standoff. Right. Um, and, uh, and obviously it all goes to hell. Mm-hmm. And, um, the way it went down very much reminded me of like a John Woo sequence mm-hmm. in terms of just like how everybody gets shot down and, and how, and, and how impassioned everybody is. There's like a very like sort of, sense of like you know operatic heightened stakes right. like the way the way the movie producer is like how did you betray me he right stabbed before that. Me in the heart <laughs> exactly and and so yeah that that very much um yeah that was very evocative And of even that like genre. the
1: imagery of the the feathers exactly yeah very john um, woo yeah
0: very much so um more broadly um i found it fun um it's The big question I had in my mind going into the movie was whether it would feel more like a Quentin Tarantino movie or whether it Mm -hmm. would feel more like a Tony Scott movie. And I think at the end of the day... It did feel more like a Quentin Tarantino movie just because of how overpowering the script is and how full of Quentin Tarantino's very particular idiosyncrasies the story and the characters Mm -hmm. are. Um, I will say that uh, I think... On a direction side, um, it does kind of have this interesting sort of earnestness to it, mm-hmm. though, it, in does. spite of being so mired and full, like in this whole, you know, sort of underworld full of yeah. you know all of these people who are all complete assholes, They're and there's and there's people. no there's no real redeemable character yeah. in this film. Yeah. Um. But uh, what wh- one of the things that I found particularly interesting was just how um. How it there there seem to be multiple instances throughout the film where something very extreme happens and you kind of expect reality to kind of um to, to kind of finally slap the characters across the face or for like the bottom of the mm-hmm. situation to fall out. But then it kind of remembers the movie's a romance again and suddenly everything is okay. Right. Like like you have like the moment right after he kills um he kills her pimp and then goes back to her and she's like in tears. And you're like, Oh yeah. I mean, this is fucking horrifying. This guy you married yesterday just went and (laughs) fucking killed a guy. But then it turns around and it turns out that she's just so moved by what a romantic gesture that was. Um, You have the fact that he went to his father for help and told his father about how he murdered this pimp. And instead of his father being like, yeah, no y'all are in some shit. The father's like, well, actually, you know, this guy was a really bad guy, and it's, and, and, I'm, and he he was better off dead. And I really like your wife, and I wish for the best. Mm-hmm. And and then obviously, the way it ends at the end when that big shootout happens, and and you know, Christian Slater's character, by all accounts, probably would have died in right. that fucking shootout. Right. But lo and behold, it is still a romance and they make their getaway and do live happily ever after for some reason. I do so, think
1: one of the one of the weird things about this movie or one of the quirky things about this movie, and it is a very quirky film uh, yeah. for an action film. Yeah. But one of the quirky things about this movie is that even though it, it I mean, it's I even said it while we were watching it. It's an incredible in an incredibly fucked up way. It's so in romantic it really is it wears its heart on its sleeve and yeah and it's kind of like sweeping in the in the romance that it conjures
0: yeah um, especially
1: the way that he like framed like tony scott frames a lot of those shots like when they first make love in the apartment it's such yeah. a great i mean we'll talk about that a little bit more but yeah but i just feel like overall the romance it really is about true romance at the end of the day and i think that that really is what what sells it to me. Like all the, the rest of the movie is just a vehicle to tell this great, like Bonnie and Clyde type love story.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I do, I do have some reservations on, on the depth of the romance in this film, because I do think that like, you know, there's definitely a part of me that like, you know, Obviously, being the being the surly, world weary thirty two year old that I am <laughs> today, um, you know, there's a lot of this movie that jumps out. Like, I, I think I made a quip to you as we were watching. Like, this is literally good choices the the film, because right. but- because there are all these really dumb choices that are happening. And like by by, you know, I I
1: feel like on on its face, there's like no way any of this actually makes sense. It's like a Um, star-crossed lovers thing. Like, it really, it's reminiscent of Romeo and Juliet. Like, they make horrible decisions all throughout that play, but... That's part of the romance is that like when you're in love you make horrible decisions. Well 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 and 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 I think that that it
0: that is the point of right. Romeo and Juliet because they end up dead at, right. the, at the end of the fucking thing. And, and 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 I think in a way Romeo and Juliet gets mischaracterized as a romance when in fact it really is just a tragedy. It is a like tragedy. it is absolute like it is it is very clear in the play that um that they are making terrible decisions, mm-hmm. and they are way out of their depth in how they go about making those decisions um so so i and 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 I think that you know a big part of what this film is doing is that it is it is trafficking in this you know in this idea of romance in a very cinematic capacity right. um it's 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 telling a romance story completely with the language of film and 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 it's lifting that story from you know film tropes and so i and and so it carries with that Um, it it carries with that problems that have evolved through Hollywood storytelling as well. And there's another Um, layer... Many of of which we'll definitely get into more.
1: There's another layer there that I'm going to definitely highlight here in a second, but before we get any deeper into our discussion, let's play some true romance trivia! Indeed, truly. Are you ready to play true romance trivia? Yeah, let's do this. Now, this is one of those movies... uh, I feel like sometimes we watch movies that are so superficial it's hard to come up with, like good trivia questions this one is so rich with detail so <laughs> so much depth to it in the detail category just like pouring through every frame that it was actually really hard to just pare it down to five questions yeah I had I, I came up with 10 questions total, and I pared it down to ten, to five. Okay, cool. So I, this is going to be five questions plus a bonus. Good. And there, as always, it's going to go in order from least difficult to most difficult. Okay. And the grand prize is bragging rights. Delicious. So here comes question number one. Great. What's the name of the motel Clarence and Alabama stay at while in L.A.? Uh the Safari Inn. The Safari Motel Inn, yes. Okay. Or as Brad Pitt says it, the Safari Motor Motel Inn. <laughs> <laughs> oh. What a, the the cinematography in this movie is beautiful. And yeah. one of the things that it really captures is the pink hue of the city of L.A. Like I love that smoggy pink quality of the shots in L.A. And and especially like because the Safari Motel is very pink, and then the the, the Cadillac that Clarence drives is purple, but it's kind of like a pink purple. Yeah. So it all works together really well. I was in L.A. earlier this year, and one of the things I noticed when I when I got off the plane was, oh my god the sky has a pink hue to it it really is quite lovely and you know when you really rationalize it and think oh that's the pollution it then becomes less lovely but it really gives LA I I said this when we were discussing the craft LA just has this mystical magical quality (laughs) about it you know, and and I love the 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 look of the cinematography in this. Movie.
0: Yeah, definitely, and I, and I think that uh, yeah, there's there's great use of color palettes, especially like kind of there's a lot of like sort of drab blues to Detroit, mm-hmm. um, and and so it was kind of cool to see how the movie brightened up as they sort of made their push west, right? And um, and yeah, so I definitely felt that 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 helped a lot with. Uh, kind of the progression of the story as it is kind of, you know, making its
1: way to a sunny conclusion. Yeah, and, it does. Uh, so, yeah. Question number two. Number two. What do Clarence in Alabama... So, Clare, the, the movie, well, at the beginning, Clarence goes to see a sunny Chiba triple feature. He sees Street Fighter, Sister Street Fighter, and Return of the Street Fighter. Yes. Uh, and the question is, what do Clarence and Al- Alabama eat after... The Sunny Chiba triple feature. They go and eat pie. They after eat pie. Yes. Now, I don't know if it's because of this movie or what, but one of my favorite things to do with friends is to go to a diner and have some pie. I love. Yeah. I love going to have some pie. I also feel like that scene is the first of many great. One on one dialogue scenes in this movie. Of course, it's Quentin Tarantino, so the, yeah. the gutter poetry is definitely on top of its yeah. game. I love when they're asking each other questions and getting to know each other, because, like we said earlier, like the, you know, it it, it does very glibly get to the romance, <laughs> but scenes like that just it, it it does a good job of having shorthand exposition of who these characters are and they get to know each other and like, you can kind of believe within the world of this film that they would fall in love, you know? A, a little bit, yeah. I mean, I
0: think uh, th- there was a big part of me that that felt a little more... I mean, there, there was a part of me that did kind of get swept up in it. A big part of that I think not not to not to bury the lead as far as <laughs> as far as you know when we get into our sections but uh, a big part of that for me was that I kind of came away kind of realizing that that initial courtship definitely did have a fair amount of um, wish fulfillment going on yeah. as, as far as like as far as like where I'm coming from I'm like oh yeah of course I would want a gorgeous woman to come in the middle of the movie for me to explain it to her and and of course the best place for me to take a, a in my case it would be a video Video game shop, not mm-hmm. a comic shop, right. but you know, like that same kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, so, so that that part kind of pulled me out of it a little bit because I was like, well, okay, like I, I can see the romance blossoming, and I can I can see it's it's telling us that. Also, at the same time, I I sort of you know. It, it it seemed a little one sided, and it turns out there's reason for it within the story because it turns out she was sent to right. him initially, yeah. um, and and then their relationship in earnest kind of does progress from there. Um, but uh, but yeah, so so yeah, my my I I I definitely saw the romance and felt the romance. It got a
1: little bit tempered by my being like, wait, really, and 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 the film was quick to call that out as well. Too, even so. even at the end of yeah. the di- of the diner scene, that's a good example of it because. As they finish having this really uh, intense, lovely little conversation where they get to know each other really quickly. And then she says, um, I'm going to pick up the check. Where to next? Like, that's a very, like, I mean, if, yeah. if a girl. Again, if that situation played out to me in real life, I'd be like, uh, yes, uh, where's the nearest De Beers store? Let's get you a diamond right now. <laughs> you know? uh, He's still my beating heart. Uh, all right, so you're doing great. That's two questions down. Here comes question number three. Absolutely. Dick's roommate, Floyd, who is played quite memorably by Mr. Brad Pitt in one of his earlier roles. career career best right here, (laughs) I'm telling you. Uh, Floyd smokes pot of a bong that's shaped like a what? Oh my god, I was trying to figure out what it was that he made that out of. Um,
0: oh my god, was that a, um... Oh, it, it it looks like it was too big to be a jar to be like the the kind of bear honey jar you like you know the the like the little the things of honey that are like shaped like a bear mm-hmm. um it was like kind of what it looked like but it looked too big to be that so it wasn't that um oh, my god I should have paid closer attention I was impressed with whatever that bong was <laughs> um but uh I'm not sure I'm
1: actually not sure what it was so I'm gonna. I'm gonna just... You had it. It was a honey bear. It was? Yeah, it was a honey bear. It was a fucking honey bear? And the, the bowl was where the where the bear holds the honey pot. That's where the bowl was.
0: Oh, my God. Trust your gut, buddy. <laughs> and I lost what it. What else could it be? What else could it be? And what I lost it, it. And
1: I lost the fucking question. It so. is a really cool little bog. And Brad Pitt, again, it's such a bit part. Like, anybody could have played that part. But Brad Pitt, <laughs> it was perfect for it. It's so he, funny in that. Yeah, he just... He it's fucking hilarious. killed it. Just
0: like... Well, I think what what really sold it for me was just like the moment to moment of just like him him marshalling all of his mental yeah. energy just yeah. into literally getting the next syllable out. Right. You know what I mean? Like and, just... and how helpful he was.
1: <laughs> yeah. Like to all the baddies, like, he would just be like just offering up all the information, no questions asked because he's like impressed yeah. with himself that he can remember it almost. Exactly. Yeah, one hundred percent. It was it was
0: beautiful. I really liked that performance. Orbits. All
1: right. The question number four. Yeah. This is going back to the first half of the movie. All right. Uh, whenever Drexel has finished beating up on Clarence um, for a little bit, he says that Clarence must have thought it was what kind of day? <laughs> uh, he, Clarence must have thought it was white boy day. White boy day. <laughs> it ain't white boy day, is it? No nah, man, it ain't white boy day. <laughs> no, it was certainly not white boy day as far as Clarence was concerned. Gary Oldman again. Uh, he's an amazing actor, oh. and he fucking again kills it in this fucking. Oh movie. my god, he does,
0: <laughs> Gary Oldman. Uh, he's he is like I would I would go as far as to say Gary Oldman probably is just my favorite actor. Really, period. Mm-hmm. Just just in terms of like yeah just just his sheer commitment to like those transformative performances right. and and um and and he really sort of just gives that attention to those performances. Mm-hmm. Like no matter what type of fucking movie he is in. Right. Like that's what really like blow like blows me away about him every time in every fucking movie he does. It just he it, it like yeah, there they're just like all the goofy movies, all of the all of the weird sci-fi things, like just everything. Everything he touches, he just he he absolutely always just gives like a no holds barred performance. And um So yeah, Gary Oldman, he's he's my number one personally.
1: Now when, when he initially talked to Tony Scott about this movie and he, he, he accepted the role without reading the script and he asked Tony Scott to give him like a brief description of what the part was and Tony Scott basically said that he was a coke dealer pimp who who's a white guy but he thinks that he's black and Kurt Garland was like okay I'll take it I'll take the role and that's how it was sold to him. He, I mean, as far as descriptions go, he pr- pretty much nailed. Yeah, it. he really did. He really, <laughs> he really, absolutely nailed it. And it, w- it was really interesting because he filmed um, this right after he filmed Francis Ford Coppola's Dracula, where he played Dracula. And and when you, if you were to watch both of the movies back to back, you'd be like, "Hey, that's the same guy." And and in Dracula, there's parts where he's you know playing like an older, cadavery looking old man, and he has like these milky. Gla- like eyes, these contacts, and he actually uses one of those same contacts as the uh, the Milky Eye. Oh, that's that, wild. That oh, that's he has here as, as Drexel Spivey. Drexel Spivey, who is uh, one of the most famous characters from this movie. Uh, actually, he's he's kind of developed a cult fascination of his own. Drexel Spivey. Well, you know, look, uh,
0: not to not too many people uh, observe White Boy Day, so um, <laughs> you know, uh, I get it. <laughs> All right, so you're doing. Great, you're killing this
1: quiz. Yeah, I I'm going to start, regretting. I mean, I mean does,
0: does the honey, I mean, does the honey bear answer count? Since you did say I honey bear. Up? I did, uh, I did, but then I mean, I mean, also... you reneged
1: on it, so. Yeah,
0: you can so we'll, kinda, see. You can kinda, we'll You can
1: kind of be like, okay, I knew that I had the right one, even though mm. it might not technically count because you kind of reneged yeah. on it. I'll know in my heart. You know that and you at least And that's what it. romance is all about, right? knowing in your heart. <laughs> exactly. So, um, okay, I'm fine with that. But here that. comes question number five. You're all still right. doing great. Question number five. This is the hardest question of the quiz. And, well, I mean, we'll see. If you get it, then I'll be like, man, I should have gone with one of the other questions. You've been stumping me. You've been (laughs) stumping me, so don't take it away from me. All right, here we go. Uh, Here we go. We see Dick Ritchie audition for which television show? (laughs) Um, oh my God. Uh, It's a show that stars William Shatner, if that helps. Oh, I missed it. I
0: missed. I missed the name of the show. Uh, I know they kept talking about Captain Kirk and all yeah. that stuff, but obviously it's a reference to William Shatner, right? Um, what, what shows was he in? Uh, and and I don't even have a goofy guess to just pause it as my answer. You can so. throw anything out. It's not gonna mean what's no. the worst that can happen? I don't. know, Hawaii Five O. Nope. No, nope. didn't think so. T.J. Hooker. TJ Hooker That's what it was Which was a, a cop show But Yeah yeah But you know Honestly like Yeah that that's like Not even that That's not even In the back of my ni- mind As like part of the Part of the Pop culture oeuvre Really? Like so
1: yeah That wouldn't have stood out To me at all Like oh yeah
0: TJ Hooker But I
1: mean Now now it is Yeah But um I mean he does mention it A couple of times So I thought maybe You might have picked up on it and But I, I didn't I love the audition scene Yeah <laughs> Yeah. Oh, oh, <laughs> oh, oh Dicky. We're both actors, so I'm sure we've been in, like, maybe not that same scenario, but we've been in similar situations. I've definitely done a one-on-one audition like that. Well, and, and, it, oh, and yeah,
0: sorry, the ahead way ahead.
1: that it transpired in the movie, when I first saw the movie, I was like, yeah, he didn't get the part. And it's crazy that he did get the part because when that happens in real life, you do not get the part. No one's like that dismissive of you <sighs> yeah. and say, "I'm impressed, Mr. Richie." <laughs> yeah, for, for for me what it always is is it's always the
0: um it's just it's it's just always the second-hand anxiety that I feel right. when I, whenever I'm yeah. seeing any sort of uh, televised depiction of act of of an audition. Right. Um, uh, the actor's life. <laughs> yeah, and, and just, yeah, feeling that, that sense of just, like, oh god. Well, and, and also just because of, like, watching the actor outside of their body and just being like, oh no, all those choices! <laughs> what are you doing? Why are you doing that in front of these people? And he um, really
1: wasn't that good of an actor. Oh, I mean, terrible. Michael Rapaport is a good actor, but Dick yeah. Ritchie is not a good. Yeah, actor. no, not at all. Not at all.
0: It's and it's hard. It's hard to convince. Where did he come from? Well, it's it's, it's it's hard to convincingly
1: play a bad actor yeah, at times. It right. takes extra work. So, um, yeah, definitely. Oh God. Um, so you did not get that one, but no. thankfully we do have a bonus question. We do. Okay, let's see if I can get it together. This is a two-part bonus question. Okay. So you can get half of it, you can get all of it, or you can get none of it. All right. All right. Let's, see. Let's Now, see. it is often speculated that Quentin Tarantino's films exist in a shared universe. Okay. And many of his characters and character names are actually mentioned across multiple films. Um, True Romance is n- not any different, even though he didn't direct the movie. Hmm. He did write the script and there are, you know, f- characters in this movie that are referenced, so to speak, in other movies. Uh, so my question is, Now, this is a two-part question, so here's part number one. I'm going to make it as easy as I can on you. Oh, God. As easy as I can. Oh, okay. Part number one. Which other Quentin Tarantino film mentions Alabama by name? This one this one I don't I don't know for sure. Now there are only 10 Quentin Tarantino movies officially, so you can take a shot I, I, in the dark. Well, I am going to I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take I'm going to take an, uh, a
0: relatively educated guess, okay. I I would say. Um, I'm going
1: to say Pulp Fiction. It's not Pulp Fiction, all right. It's it. Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. Okay. Harvey nice. Keitel as Mr. White uh talks about knowing alabama and it's in the movie oh. it's alabama whitman but alabama whitman is actually alabama Worley's maiden name well there you go and reservoir dogs is the movie that so even though reservoir dogs was released before uh true romance was released he actually sold the script to true romance first and they, okay. paid him, they paid him $50,000 for it, which is, at the time, that was the minimum fee for um, the, the Writer's Guild. Yeah. Um, and he used that money, part of that money, to finance Reservoir Dogs, to so he was able to make Reservoir Dogs off of okay. the selling of his script for okay. True Romance. I hear that. Mm-hmm. I hear that. That's cool. That's a cool detail. Mm-hmm. Um, now, here's part two of this question. Okay. Because there's another character here that has a cross pollination. Oh, now, boy. Lee Donowitz is the producer in this movie who produces yes. uh, Coming Home in a Body Bag and he's currently working on Body Bag 2. Yeah. Um, what other Quentin Tarantino film features a Donowitz?
0: In this film, is Donovitz a character that we see on screen, or is this character
1: just discussed? We see him on screen. It actually features a character whose last name is Donovitz. Oh, boy. Ah. Got a one in ten shot. I know, one in ten shot. (laughs) Uh, okay, I'm gonna just say Pulp Fiction again. It is not Pulp Fiction. God damn it. Okay, <laughs> fine. Lee Donowitz in this movie is the grandson of Sergeant Donnie Donowitz, the bear, who was played by Eli Roth in the movie Inglorious Bastards. Oh,
0: okay,
1: okay, okay. Fair enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah, very fair. And enough. I think that's like a, a, a crazy detail. Of course, he wrote *Inglorious Bastards* after this movie, but it's a good detail, I think, to have like your grandson making a war movie when your your grandfather Father. was a war hero. Yeah, yeah, definitely. You know, <laughs> so that's a. That, I, I mean, I th- I find that really fascinating, and and I'm on nowhere near Quentin Tarantino's level of. I'm just gonna say talent but also notoriety i'm nowhere near like successful as a writer as he is but i in all of my writing i i also think of it like that it exists in the same universe and yeah. i try to tie it all together i think that that's a really fun thing to do
0: yeah yeah share yeah, share universe stuff is definitely fun to make happen um i think i think one of my favorite things is uh, the whole the whole detective munch verse thing mm-hmm. that like uh detective munch from uh from uh, Law and Order, mm-hmm. SVU, uh, it has has appeared in so many other things right. that, like, yeah, that. Um Yeah, you just have this wide, shared universe that is all part of the same universe as the Law and Order universe, Mm -hmm. by extension of it. Including The Wire,
1: of all things. I think Detective Munch actually literally makes an appearance in The Wire. The Wire makes Uh, sense. Which is, yeah. Because The Wire, like, every season of The Wire is basically, like, one episode of Law and Order. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. (laughs) Ain't it just? Ain't it just? Um, Okay, so... I believe you did not have you did not get nah, bragging rights. No, nah, I don't. Not,
0: not off of that. But I I kind of figured no. that was
1: going to be a hard. Again, that's a really dense movie. There's a lot of details yeah. in this movie. Yeah, um, definitely. So let's talk about it a little more. The title and the plot are kind of a play on words on titles of romance comic books that were really popular back in the day, such as True Life Secrets, True Stories of Romance, Romance Tales untamed love, strange love, etc. Yeah. Uh, so he kind of like pulp fiction was a play on like those pulpy novels. True romance is kind of a play on those old comic books that, that really featured like, they weren't earnestly romantic things because the comic books were geared towards men. Yeah. So they were obviously like crime stories that featured salacious romantic entanglements and it kind of like noir elements in it. Um, yeah the, that, Are you familiar the dame, with the dame, the dame who walked in my office Yeah, right. That kind of thing Yeah Right Are you familiar with any of those like
0: Uh not 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 firsthand. No But I, I think I think I get I get the The general gist of 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 what of the world they're trying to mm-hmm. convey, and I mean that's definitely that's definitely one hundred percent Quentin Tarantino's right. world. That's that's what he draws from for most of his. Stuff, yeah, it's just a bunch
1: so. of references to pop culture. It's yeah, a, like an encyclopedia of knowledge. Yeah, guy. that's the thing. And and and
0: you know, like I think um, there's you know there's a lot to talk about with Quentin Tarantino. Um, certainly, I do I do admire his 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 uh, his depth of knowledge right. about like you know just film history mm-hmm. and pop culture history and mm-hmm. and the ways that he weaves that into his films i mm-hmm. think is very is very cool to watch very fun um you know because i i think you know it just you know it's it's that whole maxim of of write what you know and i right. think Quentin tarantino by, by, by known, just yeah. having having that that depth of knowledge about that You know, those those kinds of films, uh, you know, that enthusiasm always translates and and makes his films very just, you know, absorbing to watch.
1: And detail oriented. Yeah, exactly. A lot of details. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So this was, again, Trent Tarantino's first screenplay that he sold. And he says that it's actually his most autobiographical film to date who knows what that is, but I guess the character Clarence Worley is kind of based on him. You know, he's a comic book nerd like Tarantino was, um, the first, uh, iteration of this script as it was sold was more in line with Tarantino's style. It was a nonlinear structure. And apart from the film changing the nonlinear narrative to a more conventional linear structure, it was largely faithful to the screenplay But there was one major change other than that that happens. In the original screenplay, Clarence does die at the end with the shootout. And uh, Alabama has to take the money and go to Mexico and raise her son by herself. And that's the end of the movie. Tony Scott was the one who decided to change it to a happier ending. And Tarantino initially opposed... Um, his decision to change the ending, which uh, Scott maintained was of his own volition, not the studio's, because he said that he just fell in love with the characters and didn't want to see them die. So after he saw the completed film, Tarantino realized that Scott's happy ending actually was more appropriate to the film as Scott directed it, and he ended up enjoying the movie. You've already mentioned earlier that in... A normal circumstance clarence would die at the end
0: yeah i i mean yeah i think you know yeah if you got shot in the fucking eye in the middle of a fucking <laughs> shootout who uh, who knows how many calibers those guys are fucking throwing right. around? certainly more than the pea shooter that he had in his pocket but, do you uh, think
1: that it would have been i mean it would have been a different ending but do you think that that would have been a less satisfying ending for you or do you do you end up liking the way that this movie ends I mean I think uh, as I'd
0: mentioned earlier that I I do think that there there are many instances in this film where the film kind of tends to go more for this kind of earnest optimism and right. how the story progresses um and and I think it, it it does that in in it it does that in service of of sort of living up to that title in a way Um, so I think, I think you could kind of go either way with it. I do think that, like, if, if it does, I mean, I wouldn't, I, I think, like, if you're gonna go with, like, Clarence's character dying at the end, then, um, then it really has to be, like, a complete sort of fall to reality. Like, I would think that Alabama wouldn't have made it out of that situation, hmm. probably would have ended up, you know, arrested or something right. like that. Um and uh so so I, I I wouldn't think that she would have even made it to Mexico if if you were gonna go that right. route. I think it really would have had to have been a matter of like reality does kind of come crashing right. down on your head. Um, so I think that You know, to keep it to keep it in that realm of sort of romance fantasy in a way and to sort of actually give the characters, uh, you know, (laughs) that that one in a million shot that they do indeed actually get the hell out of Dodge. I think that that is much more in line with everything that the film was setting up from from the start. Mm -hmm.
1: So, yeah. Now, we already mentioned that there's a lot of male f- wish fulfillment in this movie. And if if it's true that this is Quentin's most most autobiographical movie, then we can definitely see it through that lens that it's like a Quentin Tarantino wish fulfillment checklist. Yeah. Uh, everything that happens in this movie is basically like <laughs> fantasy number one for him, probably. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Um, well, yeah. And, and especially just because I
0: think like, you know, to a certain extent, um, you know, like I mean I really do kind of marvel at just like the bad choices all around. Right. Like and 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 how like that just that lack of finding a moment of common sense to be like, oh wait, no, I'm actually way over my edge. Yeah, in maybe all we should do this. Maybe we should not be going through with this and should just like, you know, cut our losses yeah. and run. Um but that doesn't happen, and that that sort of sense of machismo, because mm-hmm. I think ultimately, then at the end of the day, Clarence is the one propelling the movie forward. Right. Um, I do think that you know Alabama, she she doesn't have that much agency throughout the film. I don't feel mm-hmm. um, she seems to mostly be along for the ride. There were a, a few moments in the film that I
1: think really were great moments for her in a way. She does Uh, kind uh, of going back to the male fulfillment thing. She does kind of fit the niche of the manic pixie dream girl. Yeah.
0: That's a thing. Like her, her, her entire existence within the film is, is about her relationship to Clarence. And I think Clarence on the flip side has more of a, of a self actualization process throughout the film because, you know, uh, you know, he, he does so with the help of romantic right. pixie dream girl whose exactly. whose purpose is to enrich his life mm-hmm. um he sort of breaks out of this kind of you know quote-unquote mediocre existence that he has in Detroit and ends up going on the wildest adventure he
1: would never dream of and all that stuff. And so it's it's definitely his hero hero journey. He even has the mystical mentor helping him along, Yeah, the ghost of Elvis, giving (laughs) him bad advice throughout the whole movie. Oh, my God. Um, Now, Val Kilmer originally auditioned for Clarence but they ended up uh, using him as Elvis in this movie. <laughs> you don't really ever see like a, like a, a clear That's shot of his right. face. I, I
0: did not realize that was Val Kilmer yeah. until you just said it. Yes. But also, I should have realized because <laughs> I was
1: looking forward to seeing Val Kilmer, right? Um, and there never ended up seeing him, and yeah. I didn't think to wonder why. You don't so. really ever see like a close, uh, clear shot of his face. You only see his like body and. And uh, he, he shot all of his scenes were shot in just like four days. It was really like, in and out. And they in in the script and in the movie they credit him as mentor. They don't call him Elvis because they didn't want a, a fight with the Elvis estate, the Graceland that makes sense. estate. But um, but I do think <laughs> that I mean if you're gonna at that time if you're gonna use an actor to do an Elvis impersonation. <laughs> Val Kilmer's the guy to go. Yeah, I I can see it. Um, Yeah, slicking his hair up a little bit. Um, Yeah. Lucky Clarence. Always have. (laughs) Always <laughs> <Coach> will. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's go into the first of our GSV segments. The first one is called... Shots shots shots, shots! 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 Shots!
0: Shots! Shots! Shots!
1: Shots! 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 A lot of shots in this one. We're talking about the gratuitous violence in this movie. Yeah. If you had to take a guess, because there's a lot of death in this movie, but if you have to take a guess, how many deaths do you think there are? How? What's the body count? Oh, boy. Mm, I'm going to say, like... I'm gonna say like in the ten to fourteen range. Okay, that's a good guess. That's a yeah, good guess. Yeah. The answer's twenty-one.
0: Fuck, okay. A well damn.
1: <laughs> damn. Wait, where do I where do because There's just a lot of deaths. Damn. In this movie. Um, what are some memorable deaths? Um, well, um
0: uh I I was impressed with uh <laughs> I was impressed with the shot to uh, Drexel's dick. Yes. Um, That was a... I I was definitely cheering for Christian Slater in that moment, though I was not cheering for his decision-making process leading up to it. I mean, once Um, you're
1: in there, get the fuck out of that situation, Yeah, get the
0: fuck out of Dodge, bro, but um, I guess, lo and behold... But
1: again, a dumbass, he left his uh, driver's license in Drexel's hand. (laughs) I know. The fuck?
0: I I loved that detail. I loved that detail When when they were interrogating uh, Dennis
1: Hopper Mm -hmm. later. Um, What were some other really good ones? I mean, we talked about the, uh, the hotel scene at the end that it really does culminate to that. Like the whole film is kind of like an inevitable track to like, there's all these parties coming towards just barreling towards our heroes. And then they, it just, they just all have this showdown. Yeah. And after I've seen it after a while and I know what to expect, it loses kind of its edge to me but i remember the first time i saw it and how intense that was yeah and and just like especially how the camera just goes like just pans quickly from like Perspective to perspective, and they're all just yelling at each other and just telling each other to drop their guns and yeah. all that. Yeah, um, I I also was um, I I also um, was uh, was
0: a, a fan of I don't, I don't know how strong of a word that is, <laughs> but um, but uh, I was I was uh, really impressed by the scene with James Gandolfini. That's his my next one, dead. the motel um, scene. Yeah, that scene. Um, and and that was and that was also I think like. One of the moments where I really was interested in, in Alabama's journey in the film. Um, again, I think you know it, it comes with baggage that we can definitely talk about right. a little a little further down the road. We will, we will talk but about it. um, but I I do think that um, certainly you know. A lot of characters in this movie actually do kind of show this, you know, this this amazing pluck throughout the thing, and and sort of you know knowing that you know knowing that the deck is completely st- you know stacked against you, but like never kind of give in to the to the demands of the of the powers that be. That there are, are a couple things
1: about this movie that really impressed me from a storytelling yeah. perspective. You hit on one of them, and it's how the the, the little person character the the underdog yeah they do always show incredible pluck in the face of danger yeah the other side of the coin and this is perfectly exemplified in in the james gandolfini scene is how these really tough uh stoic macho characters have these moments where they reveal vulnerability about
0: yeah his yeah his speech about like you know the first of
1: his deaths
0: was um was really great and 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 James Gandalf, he, like just fucking nailed it. Um
1: and they say and, that he actually got Tony Soprano based on the performance in this movie.
0: Yeah. I say. I'm not surprised at all. Um mm-hmm. yeah, I mean it's such it's it's a really fucking good performance. Mm-hmm. Um and then the fight between them uh in which she comes out on top and right. comes out on top like completely on her own yeah. is I think pretty fucking it, it's, stellar. It's,
1: the way that it's edited is also really clever because the whole time you're you're geared to expect that Christian Slater is going to swoop in and save the day at the end. Yeah. But she very much gets out of the situation on her own. It's yeah. And Patricia Arquette, I think, is, is great in that scene. She holds her own against James Gandolfini. Yeah. The motel room fight scene took five days to shoot. And an interesting tidbit here, which... <laughs> Goes under the violence segment, so I'll say it now. But we can definitely touch about it more later on, So There's a lot of cross-pollination in these segments today. Yeah.
0: As to, is to be expected with right. Quentin
1: Tarantino. I right. Think. Uh, so director Tony Scott slapped Patricia Arquette on set. But here's the thing. He did so with her permission. And by the end of shooting, she was asking for what she called the persuader. To be able to get her to act appropriately in key scenes, she was the one who actually asked the director to slap her to get her in the zone, so to speak. I don't know. I don't. I don't. I don't want to comment I mean, on that too much. But uh, yeah, I
0: mean, I mean, uh, a couple things. A couple uh-huh, things uh-huh. that come to mind. So the first thing is that, like, under no circumstances should. Any director ever say yes to a request like that? That okay. is just so so. Inc- it's it's a really inappropriate request to ask right. of a person, certainly in a professional setting. Right. Um, and uh, and and I think um, I, I, th- I think. Firstly, that's just that's that's a really inappropriate thing to do in that setting. Um, I, think I agree with you. I, and 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 also the other thing of that is that. Um, I, I mean, I will say up front that like my background in acting training is much more in theater. Um, so, the, so the thing about theater training is that you know you you have to do the whole show eight times a week, yeah, and and you're playing to a big house, which means that there's certain style considerations, mm-hmm. and it also means that like while certainly there's a lot of very visceral, very real stuff that happens, you know. At the end of the day, you have to do what you can and give your performance. And you know, maybe there will be one or two nights where you don't quite feel it and whatever right. and all that stuff. And I know that in film, a lot of it is is about kind of getting to that place because of the detail of the camera. Yeah, to get and, there. Yeah. And 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 so because of that, I know that you know different directors will work and actors in different ways, and 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 different actors will have different methodologies that are much more about really getting into the right zone and stuff like that. That said, um. It's it's much more incumbent on the actor to get to that place and for them to work with the director in whatever way works to get to that place. I think that asking the director to slap you, that's just that's. Ugh, yeah, that's not that I f- I find that incredibly problematic. I I think at the end of the day you ha- you have to find a way to get yourself to that place that doesn't require <laughs> certainly doesn't require asking another person to do that.
1: To now you, there right? is, there are circumstances also or uh, stories that you hear about like for example you mentioned stage acting there there are stories about actors on stage who ask each other to, if there's like violence on stage who ask each other to physically like actually like slap them or maybe not as like full you know full tilt but instead of like napping uh, K N A napping yeah. um, they do ask each other to actually slap each other and stuff to for the sake of realism do you have a problem with that as well or is it just the po- the power dynamic of the director and the actor I I think that I I I do have
0: a problem with that because like stage combat is a thing you get certified in and there are a lot and there's a lot of work that goes into just blocking those scenes of violence in a way that um, That tells the story, Mm -hmm. tells it as realistically as possible, but also keeps the actors safe. Mm -hmm. Um, And and like you do have to prioritize actor safety. Um, I think that when it comes to things like if it's like a single slap on stage, I think that, you know, the director and the actors can if they want to, you know, if if they feel like. If they feel like for whatever reason they feel like, you know, some actual contact is warranted in a moment, then that's something that they have to work out between the director, the actors and the fight coordinator. Um, I'm not sure how many fight coordinators would be okay with something going full contact like that. Um, But I think if you're going to do that, then... Then again, it still has to be built around something that prioritizes the actor's safety right. first and foremost. Mm-hmm. And so, I think that you would still want to choreograph something yeah, like that, absolutely. Um, and 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 certainly, you can't just de- you can't just depend on that to get you there. At yeah. the end of the day, it has to be about the homework that you do and. Um, and, and, you know, look, there are like eight different fucking methods out there. That's so, true. so, you know, there's a lot to choose from in, as far as how you get there, but, it's um. the best one that works for you. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, so, uh, so yeah, that, that's, that's just me. And yeah, so whenever I hear stories about that and, and like, you know, sort of like enforced, you know, forced method acting by the directors where, you know, like I know sometimes directors will do things where they'll pull surprises on actors and, you know, do things like that in order to like get them into certain places, um. You know, far be it from me to criticize every single one of those decisions, but I think that when it when it comes to things that are about like physical violence and and um, and and are about yeah yeah that are about physical violence and about physical contact and those are the kinds of things that you really have to yeah really have to make sure that you've got a safe process in mm-hmm. place for that first and foremost. You can't just leave it up to the moment. You cannot. You cannot. You cannot just improv through that shit. Right. And and that was one of the things that drove me crazy about uh, the film The Joker. Hearing about right. how, like, you know, there would be, like, um, there was, like, a I, I forget whether it was, like, the scene where he gets, like, beat up on the train or something like that. But, like, the other stunt performers who were involved in that scene were told by the director, hey, so, like, this is how the scene's gonna play out, but just know that he might do some other shit. Yeah. He's just gonna make up. And that drove me fucking crazy.
1: And there was that, a, the like, scene where he was kicking the trash can, the the. So- So hard that he actually dislocated his knee. I'm like, dude, what the fuck?
0: Yeah, exactly. Like that kind of shit, that kind of shit drives me fucking Mm -hmm. insane. Like I get it. You know, we all want to be Daniel Day-Lewis and whatnot, right? Like, but, but, and, and, and sure, like have your process, do what you need to do. If you want to talk to nobody on set, then talk to nobody on set or whatever. But like, yeah, when it comes, when it comes to the physical violence shit, like, like like by by just being like no i 'm going to do whatever I want like you just you, you, you endanger so many other performers and you endanger the crew and and just everybody else involved in the process and 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 that 's bullshit mm-hmm. like there are people whose job it is is to make the violence look good on screen, so yeah. like trust them to do their fucking job, listen to what they tell yeah. you and 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 you know, work together on this project. It's not all about you needing to be right. where you need to be. Like it, a movie is a collaborative process and there are a lot of people who are paid very well to make the movie as good as it
1: can. That's be. why they have that saying where they say, you know, like uh, you never hear of a nice actor or a nice character and being like, Oh yeah, I, I used the, the method me- acting for that role. It's always just asshole actors <laughs> and asshole characters where yeah. we use method acting. Yeah. Um, and and I, I guess like Daniel Day Lewis is kind of the exception to that rule for me because I never I've never heard of like him actually putting himself and other people in danger for his method. I, I, I haven't either. I've definitely heard, but like from other actors, I've heard of it quite well, a bit. Yeah,
0: yeah. I've 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 heard of Daniel Day Lewis being difficult to
1: work with, right, for sure. Right, um,
0: <laughs> and, and, difficult, and yeah. that will happen. But um, but yeah, I think. Uh, yeah, I th- I think yeah. Do do what you gotta do. Like that's fine. I just think that for me, like the limit for me is is when you put other people in danger. Yeah, with, that's really with fair. That. Yeah,
1: so, I, I agree with you with that. Yeah. Now going back to the scene, really quick. <laughs> that was a really long <laughs> tangent, um, but it was about violence, but, you know. But, it but falls under but, the purview but, of the segment.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Well, and and also because my feelings are very strong about that kind mm-hmm. of stuff. Um, just you know about professional standards. Now and stuff going like back that, to the so. scene.
1: Yeah. The End result is quite thrilling for me. And I feel for my mind and, and my money. That is the single most romantic scene in the entire film. I feel that it really shows you the lengths that Alabama is willing to go for her man. Again, this is within the fantasy wish fulfillment universe of this film. In real life, this would not be romantic. No, But in the context of the movie, it's very romantic. Even the way that I think that Tony Scott frames a lot of the scenes in that is just like very beautiful, even though there's like... (laughs) something horrible happening there's a lot of beauty in it and that again is a is a throwback to the heroic bloodshed genre yeah. where the the most gruesome violence happens in this like kind of ballet poetic kind of way you yeah. know with lots of great shadow and lighting and yeah absolutely that.
0: um and, and another thing i would say to that scene too certainly in like the very beginning moments of the scene leading up to it is because i think i had been i you know up till that scene happened i definitely was as i'd mentioned before getting a little you know you know, feeling a little bit frustrated about how I felt like uh, Patricia Arquette's character was really just, like, along for the ride right. and really didn't seem to have that much agency. And especially because I think, like, she's, you know, her her character is kind of, you know, playing to this sort of, um, you know... Uh, ditzy, I think, is, like, a bit of a strong word, but, like, you know, kind of, like, you know... this She's a this, manic pixie but, dream girl. But, but, like, you know, playing <laughs> but like playing this, like, very kind of, you know, sweet, unassuming right. girl yeah. who, you know, maybe doesn't always get the quite the right word out and whatnot. But I think that, like, in that first moment when she walks into the room and James Gandolfini is there, mm-hmm. and she's still kind of playing up to that, right. but also you know that she is 100% exactly. just, like, you know, lying through her mm-hmm. teeth to try to get him out of the room, mm-hmm. like that—that that I thought was a really great moment of just like, oh, she she one hundred percent knows what the right. hell is going on, yeah, and, and using it to her and advantage. Is, and she's and, yeah. a call girl, yeah, exactly. And so I think that, um, so yeah, I, I thought that that was
1: that was definitely a really good character moment, yeah,
0: um, to be sure.
1: And then it leads to the very romantic sequence of them by the airport, and and, uh, and Clarence is tending to her wounds. Yeah, and, it was a beautifully shot scene. And then uh, he sure. says, uh, "In my movie, darling, you'll get top billing." It's <laughs> nah. so, so Oh, guys. Um, yeah. Well, and also because I think like
0: there's like that kind of. Um, that kind of, that synth, that synth theme that sort of keeps coming right. back. Hans sort of Zimmer, like that, by yeah, the that, way. that Hans, yeah, yeah. Oh! <laughs> oh. Um, but, but One yeah. One of that, Hans that, Zimmer's that, finest but, scores. But, uh, but um... <laughs> <laughs> but I, I but i think like that specific theme that you know that that sort of weird synth theme that 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 does give the film that sort of earnest lift and again it always happens like right when you think the bottom is falling out right. of the characters and reality is gonna crash down on their heads but lo and behold they've they've still got their quote-unquote love and and, the, uh, and that carries them through to the next moment
1: the main xylophone theme that the film does, the, the synth xylophone. Theme, this, yeah, I was gonna say xylophone. The synthophone theme. Yeah. <laughs> that, it is synthesized, at least. I, yeah, I'm glad I got that right. That, uh, that Hans Zimmer scored for the movie is actually based on Gossenhauer, which is from Karl Orff's opera Schulwerk. And the theme uh, combined by the voiceover spoken by Arquette is an homage to Terrence Malick's 1973 film, Badlands, in which Sissy Spacek speaks in a voiceover to the viewer, and that movie also has... that actually uses the actual theme from the opera. Yeah. This is more of like a an homage that sounds very similar, but it is different enough to where it's not the same. Yeah. But it but it's the same. It's like a it's like a xylophone theme, and it sounds very similar. And it plays in the score as Sissy Spacek is. You hear her narration, hmm. and that movie Badlands, which is an amazing fucking movie by the way. It's my favorite Terrence Malick film, um, and it's about. Uh, uh, Sissy Spacek and um, Martin Sheen. I was about to say Emilio Estevez. Oh my God. He, yeah. he was not, it was not him. It was Martin Sheen who looked like Emilio Estevez at the time. Yeah. He was really young. But it was about them going on a crime spree together. Oh. So it has like a lot of those like same similarities to this yeah. movie. Yeah, so all it was right. an homage to that. I hear that. That's cool. That's that's a good one. Again,
0: that's a thing. Quentin Tarantino script and, and Tony Scott certainly is no slouch on on his cinematic references. That's either. true. So um, that's
1: true. So yeah, that's that's a nice touch. Um, yeah. <laughs> Let's go into our next segment. Since we're just kind of talking about Alabama anyway, we can we can continue talking about her. The next segment is called Boob Tube, and yeah. um, I mean, first of all what we know from her or of her is that she's a call girl. Yeah. That's how we're introduced. Um, and (sighs) although only four days on the job, right. (laughs) To be sure. Um, but still, I feel, I mean, the whole first third of the movie revolves around her being a call girl and escaping, I guess the life with her pimp. Yeah. So there's a lot of like that sex. And when we go to the, uh, I, I guess the, the 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 whorehouse or the crack house whatever you want to call yeah, it yeah yeah Drexel's Drexel's palace lair <laughs> <laughs> there's a lot of other call girls yeah, there yeah. so there's a, there's a quite a a bit of sex in this yeah, movie. yeah well and, and that's the thing and again
0: because I uh, you know stacked as the cast of this film is um it's it's really the, the, pretty much the only characters in this film other than Alabama are men. Right. Um and She's the only and, and, female of and, any and, note. And, yeah, and 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 to have the only female in the film be a sex worker at that. Right. It's, you know, it goes
1: along with the it's like the hooker with a heart of gold thing.
0: Yeah, exactly. Definitely definitely a trope. Um definitely, you know, uh, not great on a representation front mm-hmm. um, and and also mostly white men and you know the most notable the most notable actor of color dies incredibly early uh, in in right. the movie as yeah. well so um
1: and the other and the other other um big uh, i guess african american black uh, or black actor with a speaking role he comes in at the end. He's one of the police officers, yeah. and he also dies. Yeah. The who, who,
0: who, who played that officer again? I,
1: I, I don't. He was wasn't of note. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. I, I can't think of it at the top of the head. Yeah. Side. But but, but yeah, those were so, the two big like. But yeah, black it's, it's, actor an, roles. it's an incredibly white film, and, and
0: and and an incredibly white film for a film that that begins in Detroit and ends in L.A. Right. Like, you know.
1: That kind of bleeds over to the problematic. It, it section. does. It does. But indeed. it is but, very but, problematic. But, but, but we
0: had to start. But we did have to start with the fact that it also is all fucking men, right? Um, and uh, and certainly, I mean, I think um, you know the sex of the film is is not necessarily that exploitative, to be sure. It's not. Because it's um, a very romantic. Yeah. Sex yeah. And and all that is about moving their relationship mm-hmm. forward. And 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 you know, I think they're. You know, I. I, I don't necessarily buy into the romance, firstly, because I don't think anybody should fucking get married, like, two days after knowing somebody, for starters. <laughs> the, the morning after knowing somebody. Um, or, yeah, the morning after, um, so, I, I think, yeah, that's the kind of thing that, if, if matrimony is the thing for you, um, and, and barring any other considerations, um, you know, obviously, you know, love isn't the only reason for marriage. Right. For some people. Um, but. I I just, you know, yeah, like that that's one of those things where like yo, yo you kids are going too fast and and <laughs> they even get matching tattoos and everything. Yeah, they get matching <laughs> tattoos the same fucking day. Um so so you know, yeah, like on its face, like on paper, you know, bad relate recipe for bad relationship. Mm-hmm. I do kind of appreciate that, you know, the movie doesn't or I I think like a, a movie where the bottom would fall out. Like you know again the movie where the movie where Christian Slater dies at the end right um you know you'd you'd see you'd see how a relationship like that is kind of actually like a recipe for a bad situation you'd', see, from the start. you'd see you'd see toxicity right. in their relation. Ship with each other come out right. and I was waiting for that moment to happen. I was waiting for it to get ugly between them and it doesn't. It right. actually, they, they actually really, their roughest moments are actually kind of early on and yeah. they kind of continue to get stronger throughout the they film. They do. Um, they're in it all the way They They really buy into it and, and they're yeah. there for each other. Yeah. And, and so that, that never really wanes and, so I think that, again, I, you know, I don't necessarily buy it on paper, but I buy, I buy it in terms of the fact that the film really is sticking to its guns in terms of like, no, this is a romance story. These two are star-crossed lovers. They're going to see a lot of shit, but they're going to make it out at the end. So in that aspect, there there was something kind of nice about that, and and the sex is used in the film to... To show how their to show mm-hmm. how their relationship kind of develops and yeah. and how and and also especially just kind of like how the two sex scenes between them are like there's the one that's in his apartment and then the next one is like them fucking in a phone booth right um and and so you're kind of you're seeing you're seeing how together they become more daring mm-hmm. and more and and stick their necks out more and more um they're just riding the same. high so to speak exactly yeah and and again that that would be a recipe for
1: disaster and the bottom would. Would fall out were this film not entitled <laughs> true romance right so it's a, it's definitely a fantasy and it's oh like we like we said it's a we keep going back it's to wish it it's fulfillment. wish fulfillment yeah, absolutely wish fulfillment mm-hmm. and
0: and and much more a guy's wish fulfillment oh yeah thing oh than, yeah it's definitely a, a guy's yeah. wish fulfillment
1: yeah um yeah the sex uh, i i that the blue the in in the shots of, of in his apartment uh it the, the, the song that's used there, Wounded Bird by Charles and Eddie, uh, which was, you know, a great choice. And I feel like the music in this movie is also very well used, which we haven't talked about, like the song's choices. Yeah. But um, I, I agree. I feel like the, the sex is, is never gratuitous in this film because I feel like the movie to me is very Dickensian. In that it's not really about your main characters. Your main characters are, are kind of, when you think about it, they're kind of like the least interesting people in the movie. It's really about everyone else that they encounter <laughs> along their crazy journey. Yeah, a
0: little bit. Yeah, because there's not that much. There's not that much growth for either of right. them. Right. Because I mean, as I would mentioned, Christian Slater does go through a a, a self actualization, mm-hmm. um, but that's about it for him too. Yeah. Like they're they pretty much just kind of. And 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 also like you know, there's never really that much of a difficult choice that either of them has to
1: make. They really don't because they they're they're in it all the way. Yeah, like they, their choices kinda, are what's better for both of us. Yeah. And then they just do that.
0: Yeah. And, and and
1: even if like you said, like even if it's the worst decision possible.
0: Yeah. But but they kind of they kind of go ahead with it. Um, right. There's they, there's never a moment where they do. There's never a moment for them to kind of actually consider like well actually maybe maybe this isn't good or, or maybe I shouldn't be putting myself on the line for this situation quite so much. Um I think if they did have a moment to reflect on that then the movie would have ended right, right there. So <laughs> Exactly. Uh, for one thing to be sure. It's like, um, "Well,
1: maybe we shouldn't get married" and then end the movie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go into our next segment, the last segment. This one's called that's problematic. problematic. We have touched upon a lot of problematic things, but I want to really, really focus on one thing right now. And okay. this goes back to the race issue a little bit. And it's, let's highlight, uh, this is a common controversy with the work of Quentin Tarantino specifically. And yeah. it's it's his use of the N word. Yeah. And I know that like a lot of prominent black artists, Spike Lee included, has a problem with his use of it, which is, which especially in the, his early career, not so much anymore. But in his, in his early career, he used quite a bit in his in his work. Other black artists like Samuel L. Jackson, who works with him, often have defended his use of it. Um, well, in general, let's talk about it, and then I want to highlight a specific scene from the movie and get your thoughts. But, but just in general, just t- talking about Quentin in general and his use of the word. Uh, what What do you think? Uh, where do you fall on the on the controversy? <sighs> yeah, and, and I I, I kind of have a fi- i i have
0: a pretty good feeling about which scene we're going to end up talking about, and mm-hmm. it's actually one I want to talk about too. Um, but uh, I yeah, that's that's a, it's. It's one that I do go back and forth on a little bit because I think that in, in most of his other films, uh and, and I guess talking more about like the earlier films, so like Reservoir Dogs and Pulp Fiction, like that 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 universe. Mm-hmm. Um I think that there's you know, there's there's certainly a case to be made that like, you know, much like this film in many ways, um, you know, every single character in those films is, you know, an awful asshole right in one way or another um and so certainly you know it's not like it's not like any one of them is being held up as a, any sort of a role model mm-hmm. or anything like that. I do think that um they w- what what's more troubling about it though is just this 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 impress this 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 idea of just like this this casually aggressive racism of these characters. It's that, like, you know, the idea that, like, in all of these underworlds that, like, all of these, all of these, like, you know, white guys who are, who are, who are in these, in these awful underworlds, like, all are just, like, so, so... So blatantly racist, like beyond just like right. the normal <laughs> level of racism. That's already it's incredibly. Cartoon-y way. There's, yeah, it's very it's very kind of cartoony and and considering how prominently it features in its films, it's it's tough to it's tough to think that he's trying to necessarily you know put forward any kind of specific messaging about racism in media I don't I think that at the end of the day it has more to do with the fact that he just you know has found a combination of words that you know hits 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 in a way that's pleasurable for him mm-hmm. and and that happens to include very gratuitous use of the n word um, Now
1: in in his early work I I kind of can see it being justified by, oh, these are, like you said, these are, like, asshole members of the underworld who are doing this. But, like, in a movie like, for example, Django Unchained, that that really bothered me to an extent. Even though I ended up enjoying the movie overall, but I do, like, that's really where I feel like it, it crosses firmly into cartoony territory. Especially like you have the scene with like Leo- Leonardo DiCaprio's character, he has he pits black guys to fight against each other. Yeah. And it's like there was no evidence of that ever happening in real life and it's like at that point it's like okay, so what are you trying to do Quentin? What what is your what exactly is your purpose for including this in the movie? Is it just the shock for us or, or who you think are? I guess white audiences mostly watching yeah. your films and being like, "Oh my God, he's putting two, he's putting two, two black actors against each other," and and kind of like the the sexual connotations of that in a way also, yeah. um, because there's a lot of like weird, fucked up like sexual connotation in a lot of Quentin's work, yeah, and, and especially when it has to do with I think like his um, uh, fetish, fetishization of black exploitation tropes. Yeah. And, and I feel like in this movie, definitely in the writing, there's a lot of that, the the fetishization, but there's also like in Jackie Brown, that's a whole movie where he, he, the whole point of the movie is to fetishize Pam Greer's former career. Yeah. That's the whole movie. And I love Jackie Brown.
0: Yeah. But that's the whole point of the movie. Well, yeah, exactly. Well, and, 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 and I think Django Unchained is definitely like another film that's worth talking about. Um probably more than we'll have time to talk about right, in this episode right. but but i think like you know and it, especially because that's that's another one that like where you you also are looking at that it's like that it is a film about a very specific time in history yeah. where that kind of language and and that wh- wh- where we are talking about a time of more aggressive racism yeah. as well um and uh and and certainly i agree that you know the the film you know Cuts corners in, right. in terms of, like, its actual representation of history as well. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and and also I think that, like, you know, when that film is is taken in a vacuum, or, or is, is, is not taken in a vacuum, it's it, the film is in the context of Quentin Tarantino's earlier work as well, and how he's used the word in his earlier work, It it, it almost makes it even tougher to kind of get behind Django Unchained as right. well, because
1: you, again, already have this pretty... Pretty yeah. wanton use of this kind of language. People always talk about his uh, glorification of the aesthetic of violence, but in a way, he also glorifies the aesthetic of racism. I yeah, think, a little for bit. better or worse. And again, I, I you can, I, I kind of, I'm with you. I kind of fluctuate back and forth because, like we said, it's kind of it's it's anti Shakespearean gutter poetry. Yeah, and so when you look at it on a poetic level. It sounds good, like the lines clip along, yeah, and especially when they're delivered by amazing actors, yeah, like you know the the scenes are riveting, yeah, but at what point is like the poetry yeah <laughs> working against, yeah, you know, yeah. the common good, and Absolutely. I want to talk about the Sicilian scene, uh yeah, now the Sicilian scene is consistently pointed out it's as the most it's the most celebrated scene in this movie um it features what a lot of critics and scholars think is quentin tarantino's strongest writing for just like one scene like if you pick out like what's the quintessential quentin scene a lot of people will pick the sicilian scene it is definitely the most celebrated like most known scene from this movie, when people talk about the film, they'll think about oh yeah, the Sicilian scene. They, yeah. won't, they won't say the Sicilian scene. That's the one, That's how I'm calling it. But <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but yeah. that. But they'll talk about the Sicilian scene. Yeah. Now, the, it, of course, we got we got two amazing uh, actors. We got Christopher Walken. We got Dennis Hopper, and they are going tete a tete against each other, and that it makes for a very riveting cinema but the content of the conversation itself does delve firmly into problematic territory yeah yeah that's a thing and and
0: like I- the 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 argument that Dennis Hopper's character lays out, I can't even necessarily dignify with like any question about the history of Moorish invasions right. of of the Italian right. mainland. So I'm not even going to go into that's that not, territory. let not even touch I, I, it. <laughs> I, cer- I certainly don't know right. my history that well. So so yeah, for for that reason as well as just like the implications, I'm just not gonna. I'm not gonna go there. Um, And I think that when when talking about Quentin Tarantino's other movies, and we talk about how, like, you know, we have this whole underworld of people that, you know, you don't sympathize with anyway Mm -hmm. and don't regard highly in any way— that this scene then kind of becomes the problem because, like, it is an astonishing scene in terms of just like what an act of courage that is on Dennis Hopper's right. character's part right. to really just to To know that that there's no way out for him, mm-hmm. and he is there's no way he's gonna sell out his son right so so the only thing he has left to do is to stick it to these guys yeah. as much as possible in in the and in the best possible way that he knows how and in, in the best possible way that he knows how, and the best possible way that he this character knows how is to is to <laughs> is to say this like this completely <laughs> awful yeah thing um. It, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's, it it was a really great scene, but yeah, like, it just, there's, there's something so
1: disheartening about that, that, that is this guy's heroic act in a way. It kind of, it kind of makes you think, or makes me think, it's like, (laughs) is, is it race, is there racism on the part of Dennis Hopper's character or Mr. Worley's character or like you said this is like how he sees his way out and and maybe as a as a person to, uh, who studies history in his mind he knows that they are the Moors who conquered Sicily but he frames it in such a way to dig into the insidious racism of the Sicilian mafia of which i guess is pretty well documented that Sicilian mafia people are pretty racist uh we we get that from the sopranos a lot like uh, yeah. the 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 characters in the sopranos are not cool with black people. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, that's yeah. We're we're not going to look for any uh,
0: progressive viewpoints, right? Uh, from from Italian, but, that, but that's crime always to be been sure. the question
1: to me. The, the question is like, is is it is he espousing his own racist views? And, and maybe this is a question that should I mean for, be asked, well. But. Well,
0: I mean, I think I think at the end of the day, his his facility with that kind of language, like it's 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 a moment where. It's a moment where the two of them are speaking the same language. Mm-hmm. Is is kind of how it reads to me. Is just and and especially because I think that like you know his character used to be on the police force, right? And, and we know that there's definitely a problem. There's with, a lot of racism system, on the yeah with, with systemic yeah. racism in police forces yeah, as true. well. So I think it's it's tough. It's it's a bigger stretch for me to imagine that the only thing going through his mind is what is is what's the way I can twist the knife. Yeah. He knows that's how he's going to be able to twist the knife, but but he's he's it's he's speaking a language that he knows just as well as the as the Sicilian mobsters mm-hmm. do. So so yeah, ultimately it 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 doesn't it doesn't read to me as as him as him being just that just that clever. It's it is it is just that it is for me, reading as just like a remarkable act of defiance right um okay and uh, so so yeah, so that's that's where I kind of come down mm-hmm. on it that that the two guys do speak the same language and uh, which
1: makes sense, yeah,
0: so uh. Yeah. Yeah. That that yeah. And it is it is a great scene and especially just because I think like um it it's kind of remarkable. I think I think Quentin Tarantino is is one of the masters of suspense yeah. to be sure. I think that that is one of his greatest strengths. As a director. In writing. And, and 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 one well, and that's what I was going to say is that like uh, I I'd always respected how he how he directs suspense in his films and it was pretty great to see how he was able to create that just, just as a writer, right? Like that, but, but that he gave Tony Scott such incredible material Mm -hmm. for him to then work with these two amazing actors to, to really just have this scene that really does build that suspense in, in a really perfect way. Do you um, think,
1: do you think like, obviously this movie was made in, uh, again, 1993 or it was released in 93. Um, and, Like I said, it was it was critically acclaimed at the time. It didn't make a lot of money, but now looking back, a lot of people put it on like this is like always on the top ten lists of like the best movies of the '90s. You you frequently see True Romance, and again, when you talk about you dissect like actual scenes from like works, the Sicilian scene is brought up time and time again as this like paragon of Quinn's work. Uh, um, Do you think that the problematic aspect of it? should ruin the artistic quality of it? Or or I guess another, another way to put it, I guess like more inherent to you yourself as you, how you consume it. Do you think that that scene deserves the acclaim that it gets?
0: I mean, I think... I think that's, that's a really tough question for me to answer. I'm not going to lie. Um, We're I,
1: always asking these tough questions yeah, on we, we always, Yeah, we always, we always
0: got to. Um, I think that uh, for me, I I think it's, it's one of those things that you just, you can't, you can't, you can't regard it in a vacuum at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. Like, I think, uh, I, I, I I think I was at the end of the day, I was really impressed with the scene as a whole. I think that it was disappointing for me, just like kind of how vile the content of the scene was. Um, That's not necessarily to. That's not necessarily to say that, like, you know, scenes that tackle, you know, you know, Tough content and tough language should necessarily be barred outright from consideration or renown. I mean, just look at every David Mamet play ever written. <laughs> well, Jesus Christ. Yeah. <laughs> <Oleana>. oh, <boy. laughs> oh, oh, my God. Um, yeah, indeed. Um, but I but I think you do. You have to consider it. You, yeah you can't just consider it in a vacuum. you right. have to consider the broader context of the writer's work. You have to consider the broader context of the time in which it was written yeah. um all of the all of the different creative forces that come into play so I think that um while I can understand why it would certainly make you know top ten scenes from the nineties um While I can understand it, making those lists, I think that, you know, if if you're going to continue to keep it on that list, then um, you have to you have to speak to you have to speak to uh, understand you have to speak to to the the controversial nature right. of it. And I would have to imagine that it, it probably still lives on in the collective consciousness, partially because of just like how, how outrageous that dialogue is. That's probably
1: true. It's a, it's memorable be, because it's so controversial and yeah. it's so in your face. And because um, we have like these two actors who I can, I mean, Dennis Hopper, was a huge liberal force, and Christopher Walken has always struck me as a. I don't know. I don't know these people personally. Yeah. But I can't imagine like a world where these people would be comfortable using that language in real life. And yet we have, you know, they as actors, they per- they portray people who are very comfortable using that kind of language. Yeah.
0: Well, and and I mean, certainly, you know, look, an actor an actor you know that that is again a big part of the job of the actor is to you know you you have to separate yourself from the character you're playing to a certain extent um you definitely bring you bring personal elements to every role that you play but obviously like you know a, a very fundamental part of the job is knowing that you know every now and then your script's going to call for you to say some things you're not comfortable mm-hmm. with and you have to you have to learn how to deal with it and get over it um i think that I think that 1993 was not as culturally conscious of a time period as we are in now. It's definitely not. No. Yeah. Um, so, so I think that, I think that it, it, I'd, I'd be shocked to see, you know, a scene like that, like that explicit be written today, Mm -hmm. but, but maybe not that shocked. I mean,
1: who knows? Um, I mean, I can, I, like I mentioned, uh, Spike Lee has a, a problem with Quinn's use of the N-word a lot. And I actually, I, I can dig, I, I see what, where he's coming from. I, yeah. And Spike Lee, uh, at the time, when, when Quentin was writing movies like this, Spike Lee was making movies like Do the Right Thing. You know, he's trying to actively fight against, like, yeah. this whole like, concept of, like, the deep entrenched racism in society, yeah. and then we got, like, Mr. Quentin Tarantino getting rich and famous for putting, like, 50 bazillion N-words in his scripts.
0: Yeah, yeah, so, and, what, and also specifically because I think also, you know, that scene, it, it's not necessarily just about the use of the N-word, but also the fact that it, you know, it, it's it's so steeped in this idea of bloodlines and racial purity, yeah, too, yeah. And that that and that that is the history. Uh, yeah, like that of Sicily. <laughs> yeah, that that kind of yeah. So so yeah, I think it like for as far as. As far as um, problematic
1: content, that scene is a is a whopper. Yeah. Um, <laughs> now, a uh, little context on that, actually. So, Quentin Tarantino, he's called the Sicilian scene one of his proudest moments. No surprise there. Yeah. He's uh, never. He's, oh, whoa, really? <laughs> <laughs> he's never shied away from being Christ from stroking his ego. You know. Yeah. Um, but this is what he says about the scene. He says, and I quote: "I had heard the whole speech about the Sicilians a long time ago from a black guy who was living." in my house and one day I was talking with a friend who was Sicilian and I just started telling him that speech and uh, the Sicilian friend got offended when he said the story and so he, he said uh, I thought to myself wow that would be a great scene I gotta remember that mm. so that's kind of like the germ of the idea <laughs> of the Sicilian that's scene. funny. That's
0: funny. Well, that's. I mean, that's that's fascinating. That's fascinating that uh, that uh, it was a
1: black friend of his who, who who initially kind of told him that. But when you take of it from that, I can I can see a black guy telling someone this story, and it would. Take on a completely different type of context. Yeah, yeah. I like, mean, that's like, really if you imagine like Richard Pryor telling this story. Yeah, and he could say it at a stand-up special. Yeah. and drop the same number of n words and just like say it, but people would be just rolling in the in the aisles because he would be using it as a As a way to be like, you know you guys who are so proud of your lineage we 're all mutts, essentially, we all come, like that 's the way that he would say it in his language it 's not too, he wouldn 't be saying it in a racist way, yeah, but then you like if you remove it from that context and you put it in the different hands, all of a sudden you change the complete meaning of what you 're saying, yeah, yeah, very much so, <laughs> yeah,
0: I mean, yeah, certainly having these two fairly blue collar well you know one guy who's like a blue collar right. white guy and the other guy who's uh i guess i don't know what 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 would what would the color of collar be for one who who works in organized crime right? i don't know
1: but the red red collar the red collar <laughs> yeah maybe uh, but he yeah. was the uh i guess the uh the consigliere to Blue Lou Boyle. yeah exactly and you know you so fucked he's, up he's,
0: he's management you he's, know he's, he's not fucked he's up. not labor he's when fucking... the
1: consigliere shows up exactly, to your little yeah. trailer park yeah ain't no labor here it's all management
0: so uh there you go <laughs>
1: All right. So, um, yeah, let's wrap up this discussion. We've talked about a lot of interesting things tonight. There's a lot more that we could talk about this movie, but we, yeah. uh, we don't want to bore you guys to death with all of our <laughs> <laughs> stupid w- opinions. So let's, uh, let's talk about your final thoughts, Ned. What, what do you think about this movie? Where does it exist in your mind? Is it a so-so movie, bad movie, good movie, great movie? What do you think? I think it's quite good. I, um, I,
0: I was very, it's nice to see, like, a very, very early Tarantino work. Um, it's, it's interesting to see, it's interesting to see... Tarantino work again. I think in a way I'm still thinking of this movie as a Tarantino movie, even though mm-hmm. obviously it wasn't directed by him. But um, but it's it's clear that it has his fingerprints all over it. Right. And um, so it's it's cool to see a work of his this early in his career. And it's interesting to see what another director does with his yeah. material. Um, and, and, you know, there's not that much that changes because, um, because of just what a strong character his writing has. But, uh, but the fact that the movie does have, like, this more earnest feel to it, I think is, is really interesting. Um, it's obviously, at the end of the day, a love letter to movies, and, Mm -hmm. and specifically to, uh, to, uh, you know, uh, bloodshed. Heroic bloodshed. Heroic bloodshed films, and, uh, so, um... So yeah, I, I think it's you know it's always fun to see what kinds of movies these film
1: nerds direct in a
0: way. <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, it was a fun experience. Um, you know, uh, it's very much a guys' club, but uh, but yeah, it, it was it was fun. It was fun. It was a fun little piece of wish fulfillment that mm-hmm. I, I
1: enjoyed the ride of. Mm-hmm. How about you? How are you feeling? Um, I think that this movie is a great movie. Yeah, uh, it's. It's just like a tour of the forest from top to bottom yes there's a there there are some flaws in it. there's flaws with it, with any movie yeah. not, not any movie's gonna be perfect. I do think that this is one of the best movies of the nineties. I agree with that with that assessment. I think that the fact that not a lot of people know about it kind of like endears it more to me because it's kind of like a hidden gem kind of thing. Yeah. And I also, like I said at the top of the show, this is my favorite Tony Scott movie. I like it more than Top Gun. I like it more than Man on Fire. And I and I love Man on Fire, but I like yeah. this more than those movies. Um, this is also my favorite quentin tarantino story even though he didn't direct it my favorite quentin tarantino movie is jackie brown full Mm -hmm. disclosure so i dig the whole you know like (laughs) weird pseudo pop culture exploitation vibe that quentin has yeah i admit that there's a lot of problematic things in there in terms of the racial politics and also the sexual politics in it i do agree that patricia arquette's alabama even though i love her character to death and I love her performance as Alabama. I do think that she could have uh, had a stronger impetus throughout the movie, which is something that, that we don't see um, in his other work because starting with Pulp Fiction, I feel like the female characters, even if they're not uh, that numerous in his movies, they are quite strong in his movies. so I think like Uma Thurman's yeah. character in Fiction Pulp yeah, Pulp is very strong
0: I, yeah I do think after after Reservoir Dogs you see a little you do see a little more agency yeah. in, in uh, the in the female leads Reservoir
1: of, Dogs but, I don't think has a single female lead character not that I can remember yeah um, so this is this is obviously the work of a young man and like like he's saying, you know, it's autobiographical. There's a lot of wish fulfillment in here. Yeah. So I, I think I can He's writing what he knows. I think that this is the kind of movie where I can actually see a lot of women not liking it or not or even if they like it because I do I do know women who like this movie. I, I'm not going to you know, I'm not going to paint women all over the same brush stroke obviously. There are women who like this movie, <laughs> but I don't think that women would like it as much as like a guy would Because it's a very Guy perspective Type of movie Yeah it it's really is It's definitely Like tapping into Our insecurities and, and what we feel Like is cool And yeah. what we want From the world Yeah, We all want to be Heroes And just walk around Like with Elvis Sunglasses And in pink Cadillacs And have like Buxom blonde By our arm you know? I just settled For an encouraging Word from Elvis While about the urinal <laughs> That's honestly All I need To get through the day I like you Ned Always have Always will I appreciate that More. I really
0: appreciate that
1: So I do think it's a great movie It's a product of its time again We always go back to that So there are a lot yeah. of problems But uh, I enjoy the shit out of it It's one of my favorite movies And uh, yeah I'll, I'll probably watch it Quite often before <laughs> before I die
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah,
1: this one, this one, I think is
0: definitely going to merit another re- rewatch for me at some point too. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, there's, it's it's very dense. There's a lot going on. There in is a it, lot so. going on. Yeah, really fun movie.
1: All right, well, Ned, that comes. Uh, that's another end to another successful podcast episode. Thank you for watching True Romance with me. Thank you for having me. I feel really warm and fuzzy all over. Yep, you courted me, but good there. <laughs> And we hope you guys enjoyed it too We hope you guys join us next time When we're gonna watch another movie And then dissect the shit out of it Until then I like you guys now Go watch some movies Uh So this is love Mm -hmm. I hope we're gonna have some Gratuitous
0: sex and violence You guys always bring The very best violence No relationship no emotions, just sex. Just sex. No relationship, no emotions, just sex. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex of violence. Just sex. You guys are always bring the very best violence. Just sex. I hope we're going to have some gratuitous sex of violence. Just. Yes. You guys are always bringing the very best violence. No relationship. No emotional. Just yes. you guys are always bringing the very best violence. Yes. Just. I hope we're gonna have some gratuitous sex and violence. Just yes. you guys are always bring me the very best violence.